today on Ag News Daily. And my main mission is to help farmers and ranchers feed their animals at a cost-effective uh, manner. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here, coming to you from a cornfield, joined by Delaney Howell. And Delaney, where are you coming to us from? Um, I'm coming to you from my apartment. Not so exciting. Fantastic. How does crop progress look over there? Um, none. There's no crop progress. You hear that? The market needs to rally on that news. Well, we need something better than we had today. Yeah, no kidding. We had not such a pretty picture today, especially in the grains markets. But since we're talking about um, planting progress, we did have the crop progress report come out yesterday. And as we talked about with Ted on the podcast yesterday, still a little early maybe for the markets to react to this, especially because normally this is when we see those southern states getting in the fields and Iowa and Minnesota, Wisconsin, the Dakotas, all those other states are uh, a little slower to follow, but it looks like Texas is actually ahead of pace compared to their, well, actually right at their five-year average pace. They're at 53%, and other states that are getting into the field include Tennessee. We've seen North Carolina way behind their five-year average pace. They're only at 5% planted in corn. Um, we've seen some folks get planted in Missouri. I'm guessing that's Southern Missouri as well as Kentucky and Kansas. So overall, those states that are getting into the field are, except for Texas, significantly behind their five-year planting. Hmm. Yeah. You know, it's a combination of wetness and dryness in different yeah. places. That's hurt us. Yeah. Well, that was kind of a John Ed comment. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll continue to watch planting progress reports. I know, folks. I mean, I was driving across part of central Iowa, up in your neck of the woods, actually, there, Mike. But uh, folks are wanting to get fall field work done. I've seen a lot of anhydrous tanks going. I think that's what you're doing today, right? I'm doing some uh, chisel plowing. Okay. But, yeah, trying to get anhydrous on it. And I can tell you from the folks I've talked to, and I'm up here in north-central Iowa, mm-hmm. uh, getting getting anhydrous is mm-hmm. a major pain. There's just low supplies. Everybody's making a mad dash for it. Mm-hmm. And there is uh, there's long waits in places that do have supplies. Well, it's interesting, too. I, I think maybe I mentioned this on the podcast uh, when I – right after the interview I had with the Soybean Transportation Coalition, but they said one of the things that they're really watching is folks being able to get fertilizer applications and and, and anhydrous applications because so much of the flooding has affected barge and rail, and a lot of of fertilizer and that type of stuff is hauled by rail during this time period. So it's really delaying the already delayed fall field work that we saw. Yeah, absolutely. But I will say this. Up here, I have seen just from where I'm sitting in the tractor, I'm running. There's a guy across the street running, and the tractor drove by with a uh, with a fertilizer bar on it. So people are getting into the field mm-hmm. up here. It's dry, falling for rain later tonight and tomorrow. So I think everybody's trying to make a bad dash to get done what they can get done. Yeah, I think so, too. Hmm. Well, we will continue to watch the weather, I guess, and see what next week's planning progress looks like, Delaney. That we will, Mike. Other things that I'm watching this week, for one, is trade negotiations. We've got, of course, meetings going on with Japan this week, but we also saw some moves on the EU-US trade front. A council representing the European Union countries officially signed off on Monday on an extremely narrow mandate, but 
that a mandate that does allow trade talks to formally begin with the U.S. And of course, as expected, this mandate does not include agriculture. But President Trump reiterated apparently on Monday when he was giving an address, I believe he was in maybe California, um, but he did reiterate his threat that trade talks with the EU must open up markets for farmers or he's going to impose tariffs on European car imports and I believe use that executive power that he's done, the Section 232 on the EU as well. And I thought this was interesting. Um, in 2000, I believe 18 here, the U.S. had a $169 billion trade deficit with the EU. And so President Trump said that the country has been treated very badly by the, EU, by the EU for many years, and he said that is going to change under his administration. Hmm. Okay. All right. Well, we'll see. We'll see what that does. I hope we don't wreck another market. Yeah. Hopefully not. Because they're, they have become a decent buyer of soybeans this year over in the EU. Yeah, and I think they are one of our... I'm trying to think. I, I saw something earlier this morning, an infographic about just how big of a trade partner they are. They are our biggest export partner and account for 30% of the world's entire trade. So not necessarily they're not necessarily our first ag partner, but they are no. very important to us. Yeah, but less so in agriculture. It's right. not like China or uh, Absolutely. You know, some of those other countries that yep. we Speaking of China, it does sound like as a part of the trade negotiations, China is going to lift its ban on U.S. poultry and eggs that it put into place in 2015 after the avian influenza outbreak. So that's good news. It sounds like there really won't be any restrictions. They might put some tariffs on because they're China and that's what they do. But they're looking ahead. They're going to need, like Ted Seifert was talking about on Monday, uh, gosh, yesterday, I guess. They're going to need uh, they're going to need meat supplies, so they're looking mm -hmm. everywhere they can go, and it looks like they're going to reallow um, American poultry. It also looks like they're going to step up purchases, and we already know this of American pork. However, um, it sounds like folks who have been present at these meetings, this was cited by Reuters, they do not think the Chinese are going to begin to allow ractopamine into their imported pork. Mm -hmm. So we use Racto in about half of all the pork produced in this country. That would be ineligible for export to China, but all the other piggies will be. Okay. Well, you, you win some and you lose some. Yeah. Beneficial for the market, no doubt, if they mm -hmm. actually step up and purchase like Ted was talking about yesterday. I did see, and I want to mention this, and I want to know if any of our viewers have, or listeners have seen this and can verify it. There was a video on Twitter and uh, it was alleged to be from China, and it was showing how they're handling the African swine fever outbreak. Mm -hmm. And what they were doing, it was a video of probably 50 tri-level pig trucks backed up to a huge hole, and they were just dumping live hogs into this hole, and they were going to bury them. Oh, no. And the hole was probably four football fields in length and 100 yards wide. They were alive? They were alive. That sounds really inhumane. I mean, I don't know if China that, has some version of PETA, but that seem, that is actually something like that I would understand if PETA was upset about. Yeah, and so I didn't share the video because it isn't verified. It's uh, Some Danish guy had tweeted it out. Um, 
and he said it's from China. But mm. listeners, if any of you have seen that video, it's floating around on Twitter and probably on Facebook as well. If you've heard any more or can verify it, let us know. Cause I would like to share it. I think we need to see it if that's what's happening. But, you know, if it's shenanigans, I don't want to be yeah. part of hashtag fake news. Right. Ooh, yeah. That yeah. makes me uncomfortable even just thinking about it. Right, right. I mean, it was a, it was not a pretty picture. These mm. hogs are dropping probably 30 feet into this hole. And yeah. then they're all just walking around down on the bottom, and you know, bulldozers lined up on the edge to push the dirt in. Mm. Well, I hope that that's not a true video, but I don't know. Well, what other news do you have for us, Delaney? Well, since we're talking about U.S.-China relations, it sounds like trade talks are going really well. Secretary Steve Mnuchin um, made a statement saying that they are in their final round of concluding issues. They are discussing now, apparently, which I guess is a good sign. They're trying to decide if they want their next round of trade talks to go to be in person or just via video conference or telephone or whatever. So sounds like we're getting close. They're saying talks have been very productive. Um, I didn't realize that this was an issue until I saw this in this article. It sounds like one of the other issues is one of the other sticking points I should say is China's reluctance to give up control over its domestic grain stockpiles and the information regarding those stockpiles, like quality and quantity and whatnot. So, huh? Yeah. We're never going to get that information. Yeah. 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 That's just, that's going to be a mystery forever. Yeah. And actually speaking of stockpiles and whatnot, we're seeing the national agricultural service statistics service, which is in charge of course, of the WASDE report and other government reports, they're making a couple of changes to next month's WASDE report. They're going to eliminate price range forecasts and switch to single price points for all crops and livestock. And they're also, okay, you're going to like this one. They are also going to include a world value excluding China. Well, yeah. So. That makes sense. Yeah. Good. Okay. I mean, I think those are probably beneficial. The price ranges have been so huge on those reports anyway that they're not of much, you know, real use. So mm-hmm. maybe a price point, eh, mm-hmm. hold them more accountable, I suppose. Yeah. Well, we've got news coming out of Brazil. It is uh, their harvest season, and harvest has, of course, been underway for a little while. Ordinarily, this time of year is when you start to hear rumblings from the truckers in Brazil that they are going to go on strike. They do this almost every year. Their demand is for lower fuel prices. Well, Brazil's government has stepped in early. Ordinarily, they wait until the strike has started before they try to do anything. But uh, this new government has said they will pledge $129 million worth of loans from the state bank for independent truckers uh, and plus a couple other things to help keep them happy because they can't, they're not going to do anything about the diesel prices. Mm. And so far this sounds like it is stopping a strike from happening, but uh, there's another, another issue that is going to be discussed today um, between Bolsonaro, the mm-hmm. president of Brazil and the, um, and diesel pricing is what they're talking about today. But so far, they're going to try to head off these strikes before they start. You know, they're looking at that Chinese market for soybeans, and they want to keep those beans going out the door. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is their key time to compete with the U.S., and especially when you look at the tariffs on U.S. soybeans, it's not very attractive. 
So. Right. Exactly. And, uh, yeah, so we'll see. We'll see if another strike comes about this year. But as of right now, it looks as though the government's trying to nip it in the bud before it gets started. Mm -hmm. That sounds like a good idea. Well, for them, it's bad news for us. Well, right. No, I know. We see a little pop and bean orders. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, Mike, I don't have any other news for today other than these awful looking commodity markets. Did you have anything to share with our listeners? Just one other thing, I think, to help shed some light on the markets today. Okay. Uh, We see the dollar rise in value against the euro um, because there were reports out earlier today that the European Central Bank think the the economic projections are too optimistic. So there's concerns that maybe the EU is headed into a recession and that caused the euro to fall, which gave some strength to the dollar, which, you know, may have helped put some downward pressure on our commodity prices. All right. That uh, definitely will do it. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good insight there. Delaney, should we jump into the market? (laughs) Yeah, let's do that, Mike. All right, folks, and our markets are brought to us by our friends at the Zaner Group. You heard Ted Seifert on the show yesterday. You can catch him around on all kinds of programs. You can get his expertise and his assistance in managing your marketing risk by giving them a call at 312-277-0050 or visit them on the web at Zaner, Z-A-N-E-R dot com and tell them you heard it on Ag News Daily. Well, it's red on the screen today in the grains. May corn was down three and three quarters at 359 even with, uh, excuse me, December new crop down three and a quarter at 387 and a half. In soybeans, the May contract down 10 and three quarter cents, finished the day at 8.88 even. November new crop also down 10, closed the day at 9.21 even. In the, in Chicago wheat, the May contract down 14 and a half cents on the day. July down 14 and three quarters, finished at 4.48 and a half. Jumping over to the world of livestock, we've got the opposite on the screen in cattle. A little bit of green here in the April contract. They were up 85 cents at live cattle at 127.15. The June up 97.50 to close at 122.45. April feeder cattle unchanged on the day at 145.67. The May up 17.5, finishing at 151.20. And in lean hogs, a little bit of weakness today. The May contract down $1.10 at 88.97.50. The June down a dollar seventeen and a half to finish at ninety seven twelve fifty, and of course we cannot forget about our friends in the dairy market. We had mixed trade today in the dairy sector, with the front month class three milk contract up three cents at fifteen ninety two, and the May down two to close at fifteen sixty three. And that's where the markets ended up. But today is hashtag Tech Tuesday, and we've got a cool conversation with Chad Schofield from a company called Biogen Ag. Well, folks, it is Hashtag Tech Tuesday once again, and today we are joined by Chad Schofield. He is the CEO of Biogen Ag. Chad, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Oh, it's my pleasure to have the opportunity to speak to you guys. i got to ask you right off the bat, what is Biogen Ag? What do you guys do? Well, we are actually uh, a set of engineers that manufacture, build, uh, handmade self-contained growing units. Um, I use some uh, obscure language there, but essentially it's a, those are fancy words for uh, a self-contained uh, a greenhouse inside uh, trailers and uh, the ISO containers that are readily available. Fascinating. How long have you guys been doing this? Well, we were in development uh, since uh, 2014, uh, we uh, we took a year off to do our patents, 
we uh, we took a year to de- to deploy with the USDA and FEMA all across the United States, uh, testing our prototype. We took some time to build those prototypes, and uh, now we are actively going after uh, the market since 2018. Fascinating. Portable greenhouses, effectively. Now, Chad, what is the market for a product like this that, that can grow forage? Well, initially, uh, my, and my main mission is to help farmers and ranchers feed their animals at a cost-effective uh, manner. Uh, I uh, own and operate a farm myself, um, and I noticed uh, back in 2000, let's say, uh, 12, 13 time, that there were some major droughts going on in the prairie states. And it became very clear to me that farmers were losing their herds and essentially losing their livelihood to uh, nature, the bad effects of those droughts, as well as the uh, hay gougers, people who decided to take advantage of those farmers because they were in a bad spot. So they're paying two or $300 a ton for hay. And so at that time, I uh, decided I wanted to tr- invent something uh, and uh, to help those farmers and ranchers. That was my, my main mission and my original mission. But it has expanded also to include uh, any caregiver, um, uh, the homesteader who wants to live off-grid, the, uh, any kind of zoos that want to save money and, and go green. Uh, my systems operate uh, off-grid. We use solar and wind power. Uh, to operate them so you don't have to have uh, electricity. We provide that. Uh, we just need access to water, but it also they also carry their own water. Um, so they're able to operate uh, with their own water for uh, 30 days at a time. So, uh, you know, anybody who is, can appreciate some uh, good, inexpensive, organic quality food for grass-eating animals is our target. That's incredible. So, I mean, this is basically the technology we're going to use when we put cows on the moon. Well, it would be exactly that, a hydroponic uh, variant of that, yes. I'll be um, darned. We, yeah. So while we're talking, tell me how, how does the system work? If, if you can go into some detail, I, I'm looking at a picture mm-hmm. on the website. You've got a storage unit. Yeah. says Biogen Ag. You've got a, a wind turbine and a solar power on it. But it's it's just a storage unit. How are you able to grow plants inside? Well, essentially, we uh, uh, the good start is that those storage units, those, those containers, uh, are pra- are practically uh, airproof. So we it gives us the advantage that after we insulate them, that we can actually control the environment. So uh, knowing the and understanding the power of the seed we're able to maintain the perfect environment for maximum uh, growth potential out of those seeds. So we control the heating, the air conditioning, the humidity, the airflow, the watering. Uh, everything is controlled com- by computers to uh, maximize its growth, and we're able to produce uh, a full um, amount of uh, food, 300 pounds all the way up to 4,000 pounds a day for these animals. Now, two tons of feed in a day. Chad, what's the the work requirement for a farmer if I need to be producing that much food inside one of these uh, growing units? Right. Well, you do need to have 
a machine at that level. Uh, what we make the units that are doing uh, the two tons, uh, they're able to use a skid steer or a tractor with forks to lift what we call our growth units in, entirely out of the container. And then uh, once it's out, they can empty it very easily and reload it and then slide it back into the container. Interesting. And then how are how does the seeding, how is that accomplished? Uh, the feeding, you can present that food any way you are currently presenting food to your animals. Anything from throwing it on the ground to presenting it in a bunker, uh, putting it in, uh, like for, we have many clients who have horses and they put them in their standing uh, hay bins and on the walls and stuff. Um, the animals adapt to it. I mean, they love it. They see it. They know exactly what to do with it because it's beautiful to them. So there's no problem in the presentation. There's wow. 100%. They eat 100% of it. <laughs> Roots and all. Everything. They love it. Huh. Now, once I get it fed and now I've got to restock my unit, what does that process look like? How long does it typically take to reseed, in effect? Well, what we do is um, uh, to gauge that. So, you know, we have a, a growth unit inside like a 20-foot container. You can have one growth unit or two growth units. And we have a shelf. Uh, per growth unit per day. So inside a growth unit, you'll see six shelves, and that'll be for six days. That's the entire cycle uh, for the barley that we present. Um, to seed the one tray, it slides out on uh, like a roller system. It supports its own weight, and you put the seed right on top, and uh, uh, you just use um, like almost like a squeegee tool that we provide to smooth it out flat, slide it back in, and it's ready to go. The machine takes over. Huh. I'll be darned. And you mentioned barley. Is the is it is it the most effective uh, forage plant to grow in the That's system? That's the number one. Yeah, barley is the number one uh, choice by our customers. But we have done um, wheat, triticale, oats, uh, and, you know, some other things. There's like 30 different sprouting ones tried. Uh, but barley seems to be almost like a magic food for cattle and horses. I'll be darned. Now, Chad, how many of these units do you have out there in production today? I mean, how, how has the response been so far? Well, uh, it, it's new technology, and uh, so there's an a educate, educative process that goes uh, along with the, with the farmer and the rancher. But uh, we were successful in, in getting 10 in the field in 2018, and um, our goal is to at least double that this year, which we've we are we've already met our quarterly goals for this for this last quarter um so we're pretty happy about that there seems to be uh enough information out on the internet that the farmers and ranchers who are interested are finding it and they're finding us uh we go to trade shows i do speeches we do things like this podcast just to educate people as to that this technology is available that is very cool. It's available, and, Chad, I understand it's built right here in the U.S. It is, and we hire veterans to do the work. We are a big believer and are very thankful for our veterans, and um, I really enjoy uh, having them around. And so we hire them in our sales team. We hire them uh, in our building. They're part of the deployment process. They go with the unit when they go. We send a one or two guys with every unit to the customers for a week 
so that they so they can train that customer on how to use the system. Um, just very happy about the whole process right now. Absolutely. Now, I've got to ask you, we're talking new technology. We're talking, uh, talking new products going into farm and ranch country. We're very price sensitive. Chad, talk to me about the cost. Well, the cost for this kind of stuff is kind of expensive. The materials are actually what's killing me that, uh, as far as that's concerned. There is, um, we use extruded aluminum and stainless steel inside because I, I want to make it tough. I want to make it so that the farmer, if he has a, a ranch hand that hits it with a skid steer, that the, the system just goes all, all haywire and doesn't work. So I've made it tough. Um, but I help the farmer by offering farmers and ranchers 0% financing. So I do that out of my own pocket. Uh, I was successful in another life. Uh, you know, I came from the East Coast from technology. Uh, I'm a computer person. I moved out to Kansas, and I, I grew to love the agricultural lifestyle. I, I mean, I wish I was born into it, um, but uh, this is how I'm sort of making up my, my time uh, is by offering these farmers and ranchers uh, 0% financing. Very cool. And then once, once the machine's on the ground, what do operating costs typically look like? You mentioned really the only input is water and then seed, I suppose. That is correct. Uh, essentially, all in, you're looking at about sixty to sixty-five dollars a ton. Okay. Three, three and a half cents a pound. Uh, it's uh, uh, and if, if you try and buy hay today, you're spending two, three, four times that, depending on where you are in the country. Absolutely, absolutely, and that's assuming you can get hay to your operation. I think of those farmers and ranchers in Nebraska and South Dakota where roads have washed out, and there's there's not access. Right. Boom, you're making it right there's on not site. Not access, right? Right. Well, because hay bales are heavy, right? Yeah. But if you um if you could ride a, a snowmobile or a a four wheeler out to one of these units sitting in the fields, you could feed your cattle every day because they'd be sitting there making it for you. We've we've tested these things in 110 to minus 10 degrees, and they just keep operating. <laughs> that is absolutely mind-boggling. Bright green forage in negative 10-degree temperatures. And the, and the animals love it. And I would like to point out that barley is far superior to your hay. Uh, most farmers cannot afford to put out the premium hay that uh, – would have to they would have to do to try and compete with my nutrition uh, facts. Uh, we're coming in at 18 to 22 percent protein. We uh, we have uh, starches uh, and uh, minerals and vitamins in this. And, uh, SDK Labs has a has a rating called the, a relative food value. And uh, when we tested our barley in their labs, uh, they had to rewrite their scale because we came in at a 227 rating, and the highest to that point was alfalfa hay at 185. Nice. That is very, and, very cool. Yeah, and we are far cheaper than the alfalfa hay. Yeah, yeah, at 65 bucks a ton, that is a definite yeah. savings. Chad, if our listeners want to get more information, if they want to talk to you about the, the potential for one of these uh, growth units on their farms, what's the best way to get a hold of you? How should they go about learning more? Well, uh, if they want to do this in the comfort of their own home, they can just go to the website, www.biogenag.com. That will give them a good start on seeing the unit and trying to get comfortable with the concept. 
but uh, uh, they can email me, chad at biogenag.com, and I I will get back to them. I try and, and call everybody. If they give me their phone number, we'll talk it over with them. I'm not, I don't believe in high-pressure sales because I'm here to help, not to make money per se. Um, I want my company to be successful so it can help more people, but I really want helping is the number one thing. So, Fantastic. Well, Chad, really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today. I, I think these are, are really cool innovations that are happening on the farm, and I'm glad we Great. got a chance to discuss it. If I can just mention one other thing is that we've expanded our uh, – we've been approached by clients to expand our uh, offerings, and that includes uh, now fruits and vegetables. So we, are, we've, we now sell systems that will, will grow strawberries or uh, herbs and spices like thyme or sage. Um, and now we've also uh, have hemp um, vehicles available. Oh, Oh, very cool. Getting in on everything. Listeners, if you want to get in on some high-value crop production, here's another avenue. Take a look right. at it. Yep. You can start your own business. Very cool. Well, Chad Schofield, once again, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me today. No, no, thank you so much. appreciate it. Well, Delaney, what do you think? The ability to grow forage crops in a storage container on your property. I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, you know, I think it's really cool, especially when you look at just the ability to diversify your operation. Maybe it doesn't make sense to do this on a huge scale, but producers are always looking at, looking ahead at, at things that make sense for their operation. So I think that's really neat. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cool stuff. Cool talk. Well, we'll be back tomorrow with more cool stuff and cool talks. Delaney, if listeners want to get caught up on the podcast, where should they go? They can head to globalagnetwork.com slash agnewsdaily to listen to any of our past episodes there or any of our partners within the Global Ag Network. They can also check us out on Facebook and on Twitter at Agnews Daily. Mike, with that, shall we let the people go? Let's let them go.